SUSE is a global leader in innovative, reliable, secure, enterprise-grade open-source solutions relied upon by more than 60% of the Fortune 500 to power their mission-critical workloads. They specialize in business-critical Linux, enterprise container management and edge solutions, and collaborate with partners and communities to empower customers to innovate everywhere, from the data center to the cloud to the edge and beyond. SUSE puts the open back in open source, giving customers the agility to tackle innovation challenges today and the freedom to evolve their strategy and solutions tomorrow. Welcome to episode three, Kubernetes Center of Excellence podcast. Here with Derek Sutherland, my guy. How we doing, Derek? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Looking forward to the holidays. We um, got to attend an event a couple of weeks ago in sunny Florida, Tampa, Florida. And um, we thought we might share some of those insights, the experience of that event as it relates to Kubernetes. So to set this up for the listeners, Derek and I attended what we would call um, a CISO, you know, security executive style event. There were 16 security professionals in a room with a bunch of tables with an open bar, which sounds exciting, but was actually quite tame. And um, we were there to figure out in the room who had Kubernetes security top of mind. Would you say that's accurate, Derek? Good setup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd say like the, the interesting thing was we went to this not knowing who was, we knew there were going to be security professionals there and we had a list that eventually came in of like, this is their people's names. This is their roles and stuff like that. But we didn't know. Cause I feel like titles nowadays are a little bit ambiguous you can have a title that says you're the director of security and have a really deep technical background and be really in the weeds. And then you can also have that same title and be very policy driven. So we really had no idea going into this what or what the kind of background and experience and what kind of real role these people were playing. And so we were kind of walking into uh, a, a little bit of a random situation, a, a hornet's nest, if you will. So uh, – yeah, it, it, was, it was exciting in that way and that the people we were going to meet were going to be wildly different. And that's exactly what we ended up experiencing. Yeah, totally. And, and these were not um, these were not small companies, you know, just to kind of give uh, I'm not going to name them off because that would be probably a little weird. <laughs> but, um, you know, you large banks. vertical. Yeah, vertical. Yeah. Yeah. Some large banks some payment companies, um, large telecommunications provider, a couple of them. Um, a large integrator, you know, federal integrators. So, I mean, there was, you know, banks, there's all type, all types of companies, people that would be focused on security posture, but, you know, in our experience, we were like, well, how many of these people are tracking kind of the latest trends in the world we live in around open source, around Kubernetes, maybe even just around software, right? We didn't even know if we were going to have people that understood how software was built, you know? So, you know, at a high level, I'd say we had 60% of the attendees we met with were more cyber policy, process procedure, um, 
even forensics, even forensics. Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. Yeah, forensics. And then there was some, you know, some people that were uh, hands on keyboard applying security policy to IT workflows, but those were few and far between. So, Derek, I mean, you did a lot of the talking, mostly because my voice was gone. Because, which is a, an interesting curveball you threw me that day. You're like, "Hey, I know we're coming here together, but you, you got this. You're doing all the talking. <laughs> I did some of the talking, and by the end of the night, I sounded like Joe Pesci. And or, uh, I mean, Joe Pesci, if also his voice was like in a vacuum, right? Like, okay, I didn't, I didn't know it was that bad. That's dude, just what it, I heard. <laughs> it was tight. Like, I mean, it was very. I felt awful for you. Being in that context, I'm sure if it were me and I was like that, I would desperately want to contribute more actively and just not being able to. And then also having to listen to me talk for, for that long, I'm sure wasn't always the best <laughs> experience. No, no, it's funny is, um, <laughs> you know, you did, you did the heavy lifting on the talking and, um, and there was things I was like, I wanted to go a certain angle in a conversation, but I'm like, Derek, no. <laughs> Mr. Customer, can I, can I, can we talk about this topic? Yeah, exactly. It was awful. It was bad. Yeah. It was also a noisy room. Yeah. Because you have, you know, 20 people in a room all sitting at different tables, all having conversations and the ceilings were like 30 foot high. And yeah, I was not doing well from that perspective. Yeah. But to your point about their roles, they were very all over the place. It was everything from people in legal departments that had no technical background whatsoever to people that were security policy people to people that were forensics guys. And then there were people that were in our space that were – when I say in our space, I don't mean Kubernetes in our space, but like their infrastructure level, like – they're responsible for managing the security posture of a company's infrastructure, right? So their virtualization right. platform, their networking, right? And they had a, a lot more of a technical background, but just the wide varying difference. And it didn't seem to really track across like industry. It wasn't like, well, because they're from medical, the people from medical are all policy people. It was just random who ended up showing up from what industry. Yeah, which goes to show that um, in-person events are increasingly more difficult Um, I think year over year, especially coming out of the pandemic, right? Like we just don't, you just don't know who's going to show up. So while people are starting to really attend like the larger IT shows again, in a meaningful way, you know, some of these kind of specialized events, you just don't know what you're going to get. So like, I'm actually looking at the list and there's like assistant general counsel, anti-money laundering and cybersecurity. Well, Anti-money laundering and cybersecurity seem like an odd pairing. Um, you know, one being cyber, one being like breaking the law. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they could kind of be interrelated if you're talking about insider threat and maybe the the industry verticals like banking and they're worried about people laundering money internally or something. No, that's true. Book and, so maybe there's that angle, but that's such a niche to say those two things together, and it's so very specific that you would think that can't be what they're referring to. Right. And then when we met with that person, who was, you know, really nice and friendly, you know, they were like, I'm a lawyer. You know, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. I'm here for a steak dinner. So, 
you know, it was like, it was, it was, it was interesting because there was actually a lot of other, you know, vendors like us there, you know, ISVs or integrators, and they weren't, um, they weren't compliance companies or anything like that. They were, you know, point solutions or integrators. So it's kind of an interesting matching, but you know, like risk oversight, sanctions, risk oversight, global security and investigations. Okay. That could be a lot of things. Assurance services. That's, that's pretty common in it, but you know, also not tactical, not Kubernetes, not like the bleeding edge of open source necessarily. Basically, if we had a, like a senior architect, that was our best conversation. I think that we found. And even then, you know, kind of to your point earlier, they're like, I run into this, but this isn't my thing. So like my, my hypothesis going into this was we're going to go to this event that's focused on like security leaders. And most of these people are not going to have, um, the knowledge or the command or post to do something around security posture in Kubernetes. And that, that to me was interesting because we talked to so many companies that are like, we've got to figure out the security thing. So Derek, I mean, maybe, maybe you can give us a little bit of an overview of like how we led those conversations and by we, I mean you, because clearly I didn't have a voice, um, how you led those conversations like with an architect type around things they should be thinking about and maybe an overview of kind of like the guide we gave them and things like that. Yes, I'm trying to put myself back in the frame of mind of when we were there because what I got into a rhythm, right? Like the funny thing about this is like it's really speed dating security, you know, professionals. And so right. the first ones are always a little bit more rough. Luckily, we, we actually had conversations with the first people that we were meeting with when we were doing the happy hour beforehand. So it made a little bit of that easier, right? Um, but the, the challenge was getting into a rhythm of what it looks like, especially when you run a different people. So what we really postured was talking about how people traditionally, and I would ask first, you know, what's your, what do you do in your company? And they'd say, oh, I do this. And I go, okay, so based upon the fact that you're a policy person, what we do is we're really Kubernetes specialists. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's essentially a new technology that acts as a software-defined data center. And then I would walk through how it affects that particular mindset from, from my point of view, right? So if I'm a policy guy and I go, well, we traditionally have our guys ensure that they're meeting you know, CIS compliance. They're, they're meeting PCI, DCS compliance, right? And I go, okay, well, if you go to a, a group that's using Kubernetes and they go, yep, we've, we've stamped approval, how do you know that they're actually doing the things that marry up to that compliance standard? Are, are you running some tooling like Qualsys that's scanning an environment and it's just giving you a report back and you're going good? Or are, are you having specialists that are in there? So depending upon who we were talking to, we were taking the perspective of like, trying to point out the obvious, which is this is very different than the way you've traditionally done things. Tools that have been built like Nessus, right? Like these tools that have been around forever that can scan for different types of, you know, compliancy controls. Um, oh, do you have root access enabled on a box or something like that? They've been designed for traditional infrastructure, but if they're using the same tools they've always been using to try and ensure compliance in an environment like this, 
a lot of times those tools fall flat because they haven't been integrated. And if they have been, it's very loose integrations. It's not deep in the weeds ingrained unless somebody bought something like, um, you know, Paul Alto buying, you know, uh, twist lock to make Prisma cloud, right? That right. that's one way that, that that they're distinctly a little bit different in the space. But in general terms, a lot of these tools don't marry over. So it was really about like building awareness as to what the difference is and building awareness as to how we as a company have helped organizations although we're not specifically a quote-unquote security company, while they're integrating Kubernetes into their environment, start doing the right things from a disaster recovery modeling, from security posturing, making sure that they're implementing controls in a way that makes sense, and making sure it's end-to-end, -end, right? We're not just bandaging on, oh, we, we scanned for compliancy hooks, right? No, we're actually making sure that our images are scanned for known CVEs, that um, our release lifecycle management has audit approval mechanisms in place, that we're using Kubernetes-based intrusion detection like new vector to make sure that if someone gets into an environment, they get kicked out easily because it's also new prevention mechanisms, that we're not just taking tools from the old and bringing them over. We're making new solutions for the space and remodernizing the way we do business so it makes sense for this world. So it was kind of building awareness around like, hey, this is Kubernetes and it's different than what you've normally done. And this is the tools and solutioning that we kind of do in the space. The funny thing was... Once we started getting into it, because we only had like 10 minutes to talk to these people, yeah. I'd get like a couple of minutes into the pitch and then they'd go, you know, I never even heard of Kubernetes. I don't even know what that is. I, like it's not even on my radar for the policy people at least. Now, the the infrastructure people, they usually do. They might be familiar with one solution or another. Um, they might be like we're a or shop or we're using EKS or whatever, right? Um, and so they know that, but they don't know their security posture, nor do they know the way they're doing things differently in that space. But there was a huge chunk of these people that were like they were barely even cloud aware, let alone right. Kubernetes Yeah, I mean aware. that was that was shocking in itself because it's like it's clearly a technology based event and. Yeah, I think we use that Amazon cloud, a AWS. I mean, that, that that's like a direct quote from one of the people that we spoke to. And it's like, why are you here, I think? <laughs> well, I so, mean, it, it begs the question, why are they here? Or if not them, why are we here? Because it's like somebody had to miss something. Or was this event just a big catch-all for anything in the cybersecurity space? And there is a place for people who do strictly policy. So sure. it, it's not to narc the fact that someone who does policy that doesn't know technology is a bad thing. It just was – it was very surprising at least I think for both of us to be like, you're a policy person in the cyberspace, but you don't, you're not even aware necessarily of cloud. How do you do like your policy governance around your environment? And they're so far removed because of how big of a company they work for that they're really more in charge of the people who are implementing and have no real vision as to what is being implemented. Right. Yeah. And, you know, our guide that we handed out to everybody, which is the scissor user guide, which we'll have in the show notes and have a link to for everybody to consume and critique mostly consume. We're not that interested in critique. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a little. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty tactical, right? It's like, you know, giving a framework for how to think about things. So like, you know, our great, you know, strategy and marketing people were like, here, let's put this into the, the four C's framework, cloud and clusters and 
containers, code. But like we never even got into like the second layer of that, you know, in any of those conversations. Some of that was time, you know, lack of time, but also just lack of awareness. You know, so for me, like I walk away from that event and I go, man, people are not thinking about this yet. The one thing that I thought was interesting, I'm, I'm curious if you think this, when you brought up disaster recovery in, let's say, you know, eight of the 10 conversations, even if they were just a policy person, their eyes lit up. They were like, yeah, disaster recovery. I love that. I understand that. And I'm like, that's important for sure. And there's still lots of organizations that don't have a great DR plan at all, but that's not, that's not everything. But it was like the one thing people really gravitated to that I saw as I was sitting there uh, coughing quietly, not talking yeah, much. Yeah. So policy people understand things that they are worried about, which is incident response, right? Disaster recovery. Um, it's industry terms that that, that, they, that ring an ear to them. So the second we would say no, – didn't matter who we were talking to, technologists or not. The second we would say disaster recovery, you're right. People's eyes would light up. The fact that – they don't think they have to know what the technology is when it comes to disaster recovery was very odd to me. Even the technologists weren't thinking about it. Like, and I think it goes back to fundamentally how people look at Kubernetes. If for the, in, in terms of the infrastructure people, in terms of the policy people, you know, I think that they're just too far removed. But in terms of the technologists that were there, I don't think that they are following or they're actual end users of any of these kind of platforms. So they haven't used EKS or GKE before. And even if they have, maybe they've used it at a small scale for themselves personally. Sure. And so they haven't thought about big long-term impact analysis. They're still looking at it as like, you move an app from – JBoss into Spring Boot and throw it in Kubernetes, right? Like they look at it as a replatforming effort instead of going, well, now the way you manage resources is very different. And your old tool, this is like the big one, right? And maybe I should have hammered in on this more because a lot of people look at this like if you're a big Veeam customer and you're not using casting K10 because you're just, you know, we have an ELA with Veeam and we've been using them for backups for forever, right? right? Or, you know, we're a NetApp shop and the way we do backups for disaster recoveries, we just snapshot all of our storage volumes, whatever. Maybe they make vSphere backups, which is what everybody does. Numerous times I've had a customer come to me and go, hey, we had a really big bad problem with Kubernetes. Can you come here and help us fix it? And then we go, well, did you guys ever do backups of anything? Like, yeah, we took vSphere snapshots, but we can't seem to get things back online. Like the, the mentality is because something can go in a VM, if you take a VM snapshot of it, it'll be fine when you turn it back up, right? And that's just not true because the way these machines work is it's not a one machine instance by itself. It's numerous machines in correspondence with each other that are correlating and orchestrating together to make something bigger happen. So when you just bring a machine up, if those machine snapshots, all of them for your cluster, weren't made at the exact same second, any little data could be different between them, and maybe they won't come back online properly, right? And even if you did go that way, even if they were taken at the exact same second, it doesn't necessarily mean they would come back online properly either way. So like these companies are going in, the technologists, the mindset of when it comes to disaster recovery, we use Veeam. We just back up everything, and then we just redeploy backups. And they're not thinking about what Kubernetes does and how it operates, and that those traditional snapshots – 
are not going to work in a disaster recovery situation. You need something bigger than that. And that's even thinking about it from a just small-minded perspective of just taking virtual machines, snapshots. So that doesn't even take into consideration the networking that goes involved with it and like all the other you know components you have to be considering in a situation. I just found it odd that everyone just assumed, oh, disaster recovery means I can you know, I could just use the same tools I have been using. I don't have to think about things differently at all. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's the basis of a lot of our business these days is taking old ways of doing things and then realizing they don't work because you have to be invested in the roadmap of the technology and the platform. Kubernetes is different. You know, I guess like maybe we didn't have the same, the same pain when it was like bare metal of virtualization. Everything was just easier with virtualization. Um, yeah, maybe you know. that's what they're thinking here, right? Right. Maybe that is what they're thinking here. But all virtual machines was an abstraction layer from hardware. Kubernetes is so much more than abstraction. It's software to find everything. Right. Right. Like <laughs> that's, that's the big challenging difference. Yeah. It's like, I guess, you know, and I'll, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, the whole, the whole idea around OpenStack was there was a bunch of software defined stuff that allowed you to scale commodity hardware to the moon, literally NASA. I, I right? mean, <laughs> and then you're not, you're not wrong, but that was difficult and obviously didn't catch on. So like now when you look at Kubernetes, it's actually like another step, um, I'd say it's more performant. Maybe it's just been built better by more people. But like, look how hard OpenStack was to the point to where it didn't work. I, I think it, it's more than that. I think OpenStack, OpenStack was to bring the cloud on premise. And right. it was very complicated because again, this goes back, like I think people understood because literally OpenStack is a software-defined data center. Like you're making a right. software-defined cloud, right, on, on premise. People went into it with that mindset, and so they knew they had to change all these paradigms and all these structures. And to your point, it was pretty buggy, and there was a lot of issues with it for a long time. And so people had a lot of bad experience, so they kind of – it kind of faded away. It just disappeared from the market. Nobody really gave a crap anymore. And like many companies that were enterprise support companies don't do enterprise support for it anymore. Like it just is what it is. But I think the way that Kubernetes is is different than that, but also the similar, Kubernetes is also a software-defined data center. But it's a software-defined data center for things that are containerized, which OpenStack was just a software-defined data center. It could, you know, right. you could have object storage or block storage that you do as a software-defined mechanism, right? You could do, you know, um, virtual machines as a software-defined, you know, data center where you could have them elastically scale automatically. So it gave you all those benefits that like EC2 gives you plus other things, whereas Kubernetes is very, very, very niche and specific in, in, in the sense that it's strictly for containers. You can do a lot of things with it, but because it's niche and because it was easier to deploy, for like you, I mean, now you you could use Rancher Desktop and, and deploy Kubernetes on your laptop, right, and use it to right. build things out. Or K3S, you could put on a Raspberry Pi, right. So I think people, from their mindset, go, they're using it in smaller chunks, and so they're adopting it more in a grassroots movement kind of way. You don't need a big data center to adopt it, and because of that slow movement adoption rate, now it's like forcing companies to go, well, we're using it. So now we got to do something with it. Where the other way around is, well, we're we're building this to try and make our business better. It, it kind of it flips itself on its head for the adoption right. process, right? 
Yeah, yeah. No, that that, that makes sense. And I, I think it's I think it's just interesting that industry, non non technology industry just thinks like all the stuff is solved by buying something and you know, it's just there. And then and then they get into it and they're like, Oh, well, we have to solve for a bunch of things like we have in IT since the existence of mainframes. It's not to not to go on a tangent, but you actually make me think of something just very small. Yep. So so far, everybody in the Kubernetes space, you know, it's not that they haven't been enterprise. I'm not saying that, but they haven't been the big name enterprise. So it's not like Microsoft or you know um, or VMware up until the last few years. I mean, and VMware does now, but they didn't have like a Microsoft Kubernetes solution, right? Like SQL Server is bulletproof for when it right. comes to SQL, right? And people look at Microsoft, not that Windows is bulletproof, but like that has been the de facto standard for a lot of different things. When it comes to VMware, they go, this is the de facto standard for virtualization and they expect a certain level of like more than credibility. It's, it's about like, to your point, everything is going to be there for what I need, right? right. Versus yep. using KVM, right? Now that VMware has Tanzu Kubernetes service and, you know, people are, maybe he's trying to, to use it in their different VMware environments. I'm actually waiting to see when something goes wrong in Tanzu and it puts a bad taste in someone's mouth because they're expecting a certain type of, I don't know what to call it, a certain type of quality. Experience. Experience, that's the best yeah. way to put it, experience from VMware and they don't get what they've traditionally had, how that affects VMware's brand. Because, you know, companies like, um, you know, that are open source derivatives, even, you know, Docker, you know, Mirantis, whatever, they've all always been associated with it's enterprise, but it's open source. And so it, it's not like it's a work in progress, but it's kind of a work in progress where sure. VMware is yep. like, we're VMware, right? Like, so does it change the dynamic of the way people look at VMware if they use Tanzu and it puts a bad taste in their mouth? Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be some challenges in general anyway around that because it's, VMware has been pretty late to the game. You know, it's like they're basically repackaging Pivotal and trying to make it Kubernetes ready. And like Pivotal was good for what it was, but it wasn't Kubernetes. So, yeah, you know, Pivotal was great, but it, it wasn't Kubernetes. You're right. And right. that was the problem. People wanted it to be Kubernetes. So, you know, they're trying to meet the uh, relative demands of the market and uh, they're four or five years behind. So, and and there is there is an expectation around like listen if you go deploy, you know, vSphere, that stuff works. It works great. It's got lots of features. It's easy to manage. It's it's de facto standard for a reason. Um, Kubernetes isn't like that yet. We'll see. <laughs> maybe maybe one day, but you know, Kubernetes is a journey. You know, which is why we uh, yep, we point out all these, all these things and these podcasts, and when we do sessions with customers and prospects, and we attend events, like we're trying to point out, like this journey is evolving. We're building a plane as we're flying it, and um, there'll be new things. I mean, just just showing people the CNCF landscape for uh, which I think we put in that document we did just for security. I mean, there's like. 45 things and there's stuff missing stuff we'd recommend. Absolutely. So Absolutely. it's, 
there's a lot to dig through. So when you, when you put yourself in the, you know, the seat or the shoes or the mind of a person who's got to manage, you know, Kubernetes for an enterprise, they're like, ah, I've got to do research on 48 vendors or community projects and then figure out if it's supportable. It's a lot of work. So, well, anyway, it was a good wrap. We had great weather in Tampa. That was nice. Yeah, compared to what we've been dealing with. <laughs> yeah, it was cold and rainy. We went to sunny Florida. It was not cold and rainy. It was beautiful. And yeah. uh, got a day away and picked up more sickness. It was great. But I think yeah. we're, all, we're all on the mend, hopefully. so. Hopefully. All right. Derek, as always, thanks for the time. Absolutely. For the listeners, check out um, – this will be releasing right around Christmas. Might have some Christmas music in it. We'll see. And um, we'll have a collection of pods coming out in January um, with some of the extended crews. So we'll talk to you then. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Dynatrace exists to make the world software work perfectly. Their unified software intelligence platform combines broad and deep observability and continuous runtime application security with the most advanced AI ops to provide answers and intelligent automation from data at an enormous scale. This enables innovators to modernize and automate cloud operations, deliver software faster and more securely, and ensure flawless digital experiences. That is why the world's largest organizations trust Dynatrace to accelerate digital transformation.